0: I would like to read with you uh, this morning to start off uh, the whole of Deuteronomy chapter 6. So I encourage you to um, open in your Bibles. It will also appear on the screen. Remember, these are the words of Moses to the people as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, either for the very first time back 1,100 years before Christ, or for the second time about 500 years before Christ. Last week uh, we talked about the Ten Commandments that had been given by God on the mountain. And um, so Moses is continuing this uh, sermon or speech to the people. So Deuteronomy chapter chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, And he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt, if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. There are two basic themes in this chapter. One is, of course, the famous Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's a central theme of this chapter. A second theme is the command to teach these words to the children. Teach them all the time and everywhere. You shall talk of them, he says in verses 6 and 7, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So there's these two central thoughts in this chapter. And there's a huge temptation for uh, any preacher worth his salt when he reads these, he or she reads, these chap- reads this chapter. The first one, of course, is to launch some fire and brimstone. To rant and to rail... And to scold, because I imagine that none of us are really loving God with all our heart and soul and might. Um, We just don't do that very well, and we fail all the time. We're just not that great at it, and it would be pretty easy to uh, rant and rail about that. And it would also be pretty easy to rant and rail and scold about how we're probably not teaching our children all that diligently. We're probably not talking about these things in our homes or in our cars, or when we go to bed or when we get up. Probably most of us are hardly doing any of that at all. It would be pretty easy to launch a diatribe about that. That's one approach that someone could take, and it might be worthwhile. A second approach would be to give tips and wise thoughts about, for example, how to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might. How to discipline yourself to do that. What it might look like to have a quiet time. What it might look like to go to church regularly. What it might look look like to connect with God. If you did this, 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 and this, then you maybe could do that. And also perhaps give tips about how to teach or train or discipline your children. In the age of my parents, that might have been Dr. Spock, Uh, or probably more in in the time of my parents and the time when I was a parent of young kids, perhaps James Dobson and Focus on the Family. There's all kinds of books and tips written about how to raise your children. Today it might be a little bit of Jordan Peterson or some recommended blogs or podcasts. Two approaches, launch a diatribe, give a whole bunch of tips. You've probably guessed I've chosen to do neither of those because I don't believe that launching a diatribe really does anybody any good. It's probably never helped anybody, and I suspect that today is no different. And the second thing is I'm self pretty far removed from the daily life of particularly raising and caring for children, that I'm not in a very good position to tell you what to do. And today's world is a pretty difficult one, and I frankly don't have much of a clue and have a ton of admiration for parents who are actually doing it and probably don't have from this place a lot to offer. And besides that, you're all smart enough, well-educated enough, and capable of figuring out how to do what you believe God is calling you to do. But I do want to challenge you this morning. At the Seal Church. I think that these commands of Deuteronomy are just as relevant and true and necessary for, as Deuteronomy puts it, real life, living well today as they were back then. So I'd like to present an image to you this morning that might help you get a vision for what God is calling his people, you, to be to encourage you in what you're already doing to be faithful to God, but also encourage you to stop and maybe take a critical look at your life. How am I doing in these two areas? And think about what you might change or adjust in your perspectives, your approach to home and life, your thinking about God's calling on you, your family or community. Why is this important? Well, obviously, you are aware of the amount of brokenness in our world today. Christoph Blumhardt, who was a German Lutheran, lived, died just about 100 years ago, uh, experienced the First World War firsthand, wrote this You must bear in mind, my friends, that we humans, even the best of us, are poor comrades to the great whole of creation. Something in us is twisted. Now, all of us were created in the image of God, an important part, or, to put it pictorially, an important wheel in the great gear works of creation. But on this wheel, the cogs are all crooked and chipped, and the axle is bent. The human part doesn't work right, and listen to this, the whole creation suffers in consequence. This is sin. Things don't run right with us men. There is much that is awry with every person in the world. And in his commentary on Deuteronomy, Brueggemann, Walter Brueggemann, puts it this way. The tradition knows that if the specifications of covenantal command are not obeyed, and listen to this, the land, the creation, will revert to its anti-covenantal condition of what? Exploitation. And if we are not living in a world that's full of exploitation, I don't know what is exploitation. And Israel, as a social experiment in the world, remember we've talked about this all the way through, that Israel is a colony, a social experiment in the world, will evaporate before the forces of what? Greed and anxiety. The quality of life in the land is completely connected to and dependent upon the quality of Israel's covenant with God. And the image I'd like to give you this morning to just help us think through these things is the image of home. Now just take a couple of seconds, and I'll just be silent for a few seconds, and just think for yourself, what does home mean to you? Maya Angelou wrote this, the great poet, The ache for home lives in all of us, the safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. And the writer Gladys Hunt put it this way, What is home? My favorite definition is a safe place, a place where one is free from attack, a place where one experiences secure relationships and affirmation. It's a place where people share and understand each other. Its relationships are nurturing. The people in it do not need to be perfect. Instead, they need to be honest, loving, supportive, recognizing a common humanity that makes all of us vulnerable in her book Grounded. I put this up here because this is, some of you recognize the Dutch word gezellig The Dutch word gezellig is the word that means homey or cozy or something like that. It's a word that literally is untranslatable in almost any other language. But you just know when you're experiencing it. We're just, we're just here and it's safe and it's calm and it's cozy and there's good food and there's good fellowship and we have right now everything that we need. Diana Butler Bass, in her book Grounded, writes this, The overarching narrative of the Bible is that of humanity searching for home. And that's, of course, where Israel was in the book of Deuteronomy. They were on the, on the edge of the Jordan River, ready to move into the land that would be their home. The overarching narrative of the Bible is that of humanity searching for home. In the beginning, God created the beautiful earth as our home, but we carelessly misused it, resulting in exile from our natal place. The rest of the story recounts how we either faithfully sought God's homeland or sinfully abused it. Throughout, a spiritual interplay emerges. Not only did God create our earthly home, but God is our home. And you remember last week, hopefully you remember, that we talked about the quorum Deo, the living before the face of God. So the first thing I want to say about home this morning is that home is where God dwells. Remember we talked about God's presence, especially in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. That is, before my face. You shall have no other gods in my presence. And God is saying, in this new land, in this new home which I am giving to you, I am going to be there. I am going to be present. Home is where I am. And the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, in their publication called Renewing the Faith, written in 1991, wrote this, The whole universe is God's dwelling. Earth, a very small, uniquely blessed corner of that universe, gifted with unique natural blessings, is humanity's home. And humans are never so much at home as when God dwells with them. Emmanuel, as the prophet said, Emmanuel, as Jesus Christ was called, God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory full of grace and truth. And I don't know if in this chapter that we read from Deuteronomy, if you picked up this warning. Moses warns Israel that when they enter into these great and good cities that they did not build, and when they live in the houses full of good things that they did not fill, and the cisterns, the water carriers, that they did not dig, and the vineyards and the olive trees that they did not plant, When they eat and are full, then Moses says, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, which was no home because you were slaves and it was not safe. And it was not secure. And you couldn't develop and grow and live as God had desired. And I brought you out of that and I put you in this land. And I gave you a home. But the danger is, when your stomachs are filled and your retirement is settled and you have the car that you want and you have the position that you want and you have people who like you And people who respect you. And things are going well. And you really don't have to worry about very much that you're going to forget. Living. Coram Deo. Living before the face of God. So this is my first challenge to you this morning. In your homes. In your communities. Have you forgotten that you're living coram Deo, that God is there. And what can you do to not forget? What can you do to keep remembering? What can you do to keep remembering that God is with you and that he will never leave you or forsake you? And that there is nothing that can separate you from His love. Is your life a life, even in your home, of not recognizing God's presence in that home? I'm not telling you how to do that, but it's laying that out. This idea of home is home is only really home in the scriptural perspective. When God is there. And in order to, to tap into that and to understand that and let that influence your life in the home, you need to connect to that. There that needs, that needs to be something that's there in the in the front of your life. It, need, it needs to be present and not forgotten or ignored. So home is a place where God is present. But then there's what... Uh, Diana Butler Bass calls the spiritual habits of home. And she writes this, What happens at home does not stay at home. The home is a training ground for spiritual and ethical habits that we take out into the world as adults. Because households nurture habit, they can be schools of intentional spiritual practice. Things like spiritual practices, sharing, eating together, praying, conversation, critical thinking, acceptance, forgiveness, and charity can all become habitual. So there's God present, and then we're present with each other in all these ways, conversation, prayer, critical thinking, acceptance, forgiveness, and charity, all rooted in the home, And then she says this Two locations have emerged as particularly sacred the front door and the table, the physical places at home where we form the spiritual habits of hospitality and gratitude. The door, the place of hospitality. It's pretty interesting that in Deuteronomy 6, verse 9, Moses says, take these commands and inscribe them on what the doorposts of your home, of your homes and on your city gates. And in every faithful religious Jewish home, you will see what's called, if I'm pronouncing it right, the mezuzah. This brief, I believe it's usually the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, posted on the door because at the door when the, through the door we receive others into the inner places of our lives we open ourselves up to the world we go out into the world and the world comes into us through the door And that places these words of Jesus where he says, I am the door, also in a little bit of a different light, inviting his followers in to his life of safety and abundance and then sending them out into the world with what they've learned in this home. This door is a place of hospitality, of opening yourselves up to other people and opening yourselves up to this world. The doorway serves as a moral stage for the practice of hospitality and an architectural reminder of how we receive others to the inner places of our lives. So, a fundamental characteristic of the home is this open door where we're receiving others into the inner places of our lives. And then there's the table. Deuteronomy doesn't mention the word table, but it talks about the prosperity of the land, the great and good cities you did not build, the houses full of good things you did not fill, the cisterns, the plenty of water that you did not dig, the vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full. So there's this whole idea of a, of a, of a house with this table. Full of enough to drink and enough to eat. Not only for just us, but for anyone who comes by. And you remember, of course, Psalm 23. You prepare, says the psalmist to God, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Then I thought this week maybe in a different way in the light of this idea of home of Jesus on the last night of his life in that upper room at that table eating that meal with his disciples that meal that reminded them of where they had come from of Egypt of the liberation that had happened of being rescued from a place that was not home and brought to a place that was home. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and he broke it after he blessed it, and he gave it to the disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and he also gave thanks. There's a gratitude aspect. And he gave it to them, and he said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then in Matthew's version, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We're moving towards, we're already in, and we're moving towards the fulfillment of this home idea where God is with us, and He's sitting at table with us. And we're enjoying the, the, the fruits of creation, the fruits of the vine and the bread, and, and the fruit and the, and, the, and, the, and the richness of all the foods that we have available to us. And our door is open. And we're talking and we're conversing we're sharpening each other like iron sharpens iron and we're accepting one another and we're forgiving one another and we're encouraging one another and we're providing a safe place for the tears and we're not causing one another pain we're not committing violence in our homes with either word or action it's a place of safety and of well-being where justice happens and where real life can happen. And the last verse of Deuteronomy kind of sum, sums it all up and, and does so very well. Uh, Cindy pointed this out to me in the message, the, the, the translation by uh, Eugene Peterson. It will be a set right life That's that word righteousness, justice. It will be a set right and put together life for us. If we make sure that we do this entire commandment in the presence, before God's face, in the presence of our God, just as he commanded us to do, a set right and a put together life For us if we live in the presence of God consciously, openly looking for where he is and how he can teach us to make a home of our homes and if you want to know what that's like then look to Jesus because that's what he did everywhere he went he sat down and he ate and he went into homes and he drank the cup, and he ate the bread. And he listened, and he spoke, and he challenged, and he accepted, and he forgave, and he loved. Where he was, God was. And I'm pretty sure that all of us, if we would let ourselves go there, desire nothing more that is the deepest deepest desire of our lives to be in a home like that and i want to proclaim to you this morning that that's what god offers that's that's by with him is that home and i want to encourage you As you move forward from this place this morning to think about how is my home a home like this? And what can I do? What can we do to grow closer to understanding the presence of God and being that place where we can thrive and live in a life that is set right and put together because there's nothing more that God wants for you, and for us. Amen.